My name is Maria Kent Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. Today, we are so excited to have Lauren from the Sister Project blog. Lauren runs an Instagram page and a blog with her sister, Michelle. It's all about having a cozy huga life. Huga, yes. <laughs> and so well-rounded in all the different topics that you talk about. But for me, it was just so powerful to like see people actually talking on Instagram story about your mom. Mm-hmm. So you guys were just a total godsend and you're definitely those people that I follow on Instagram that I feel like I know. So amazing that now we're doing this podcast and we can have you on it, to share your story. So I feel like this ends up being a therapy session. I have Kleenex just in case. Oh, good. Okay, oh, you're, smart. you're prepared. I That's really know. smart. I, should have I use my shirt. I use my shirt. <laughs> we'll hang you. We'll hang you. Here, I'm giving you one. <laughs> Perfect. So... This is your your version of the story. So I know we're going to have Michelle on as well, but we'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, when this all started for you, what you were seeing. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys, you ladies both for starting your podcast because this is such an important topic and a lot of people don't know or hear about FTD. Um, it's funny because when people are like, what does that stand for? We, we refer to it as frontal temporal dementia. Is that how you do too? That's what I say. Yes. I, I kind of, sometimes I say degeneration because yeah. I guess that's the more appropriate, but I feel like nobody knows about nobody this. So you got to throw in the word that people know. So exactly. I hear you. And so I, I just feel like it's really important that we do keep talking about it. Even though our mom is no longer with us, her spirit and her, who she was, was such an amazing person. So thank you for giving me this opportunity just to even talk about her on a platform like this. I'm so um, excited. I'm excited too. I am. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm nervous because I have, I don't know what kind of feelings these will drum up, but we're going to just see what happens. We're just going to do it. <laughs> we're just going to do it. It's a very <laughs> safe for space you. because you know how this feels. Yes. So, and it's not a good feeling. Um, but to start back on how and when and why, I, I'm thinking it was about, so I got married in 2013 and June was diagnosed shortly after that, within a year, I would say. But there were moments leading up to her diagnosis, and I'm sure you can relate, that were like really interesting behavioral aspects of who she was becoming. We were at Mother's Day and she didn't like the taste of her water or Diet Coke and she just spit it out on the table. And I was like, oh my God, that is, that's not our mom. And my mom wasn't the most like poised person. She wasn't like, you know, an uh, coming out of an etiquette book, but she wasn't spitting out her water. Right, on, right. <laughs> you know, um, I, so what happened from there, um, different things. She referred to me once like at, at my wedding as a nice lady. And it was like a, what a stranger would say to, I helped her with something 
And she looked at me and she said, you are such a nice lady. And I thought to myself right away, like, that is not something, that's not how a mother talks. I felt like a stranger was looking at me. Right. So signs like this, but I will tell you something that happened that um, was a very extremely difficult moment was she took on a companion who she met online. My parents had gotten divorced I think in 2009, they were married for like 30 something years. They didn't get a divorce because um, of my mom's illness, which I know that the doctors sometimes ask that, like, did they, was it her behavior that caused it? It wasn't, the, the marriage was not, you know, it just was moving in that direction organically. So she took on like a companion and gosh, I, it's weird even thinking about it because I haven't taught, I haven't thought about this man in a long time. He was totally taking advantage of her. He knew that she was like a, you know, she was, a, she was well off on her way after being divorced and he was like a parasite. He leached on her, moved into my parents' home, but my dad had obviously not lived there anymore, but moved into our family home, which was so jarring. And then from there, it was time to sell the house because it was too big for just two people, my mom and some stranger. And he was trying to convince her to move in like to really like far away places, like far from our family. So we found it really strange, but they ended up moving into a house not far from where we lived. And over the course of time, we just began to notice some very, very strange behavior. And I found the extent of the situation when I found him um, forging my mom's signatures on credit cards. Wow. He was writing down her passwords to things and keeping her social security number. Um, like I found like a file basically. And then I found out that they had purchased, this was the real kicker, an RV. And again, my mom was, you know, when your parents, you know, ladies, when your parents are doing things that are so out of the norm, you're, my mom was never like, I have one day when I retire, I want to get an RV. That was not her plan in life. She'd never spoken about it. So when I found the receipt, thank God the title was in her name. We found out that when we had asked him to leave the premises, he went and got the RV and tried to use it as his like escape route. That was going to be where wow. he was going to live now. Wow. So I believe it's grand theft as a felony because I, I think if it's $5,000 or more, it's like grand theft. Um, so he, there was a warrant out for his arrest and we had him basically like chauffeured by the police to come back to the house and return this RV that we were not planning on keeping. We just wanted it to sell it and get rid of all of these horrible like artifacts of the situation with all of these different um, personality changes that we started to notice amongst so many other, these are just the ones that are like coming at the top of my head. We did take her into a psychiatrist first and then a neuropsychiatrist and then to the neurologist at Northwestern okay. who diagnosed her with FTD and told us that there is nothing that they can do to help us. Yep. Um, Michelle's Michelle all hangs and it's not a bad way she hangs on, but she always remembers and she talks about it. Michelle's my sister. They said that we just hope that you have money. You have some sort of amount of money because she's going to need care and care costs money. And they left us with a couple pamphlets and sent us on our way. And that wow. is how we found out that June had FTD. I mean, the bedside manner is just like, hello? Like, absolutely. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. I'm so sorry that you guys had to go through that. So what happened next? Did you end up 
getting her into a skilled nursing facility or Good what was you know what to do we were like oh my god and my mom okay so i'm i'm going to share this too my grandmother her mom it later in life suffered from dementia and i'm talking like in her late 80s my grandmother died at 86 i was it was a very similar death but maybe my mom knew that there is something there i don't know that it's in our family but my grandmother she would her situation was so different than my mother my grandmother was getting old she thought my name was helen and i was her best friend and she mm. spoke mostly to the end whereas my mom she went nonverbal probably like two years before she passed with the reason why I'm telling you this is because she would always say like, just whatever you do, do not put me in a nursing home. I don't think we would have under the circumstances that we were able to not had we had to, we would figure out what we had to do. But our situation was as such, we were able to move her out of the scary house that she lived in with that scary man. <laughs> and yeah. Michelle actually led our move from our mom going from one house to a, a house that was like a block away from Michelle's house. She found this wow. adorable ranch. She made it um, all handicap accessible. Um, so we moved her and then it was the hunt for the caregivers, which gosh, it's funny now that I'm starting to think about it, the ups and downs looking for the right person to care for your loved one is not always a cakewalk. It's not easy. No, no, it's not. Especially when they're younger, but they need some of the services that like, you know, 80 year olds need. It's terrible, but go on. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. But I wanted to mention too, that I, at the same time when my mom was getting, being diagnosed and we were making this big change in our lives and coming to terms with our new reality, I did seek help from a therapist and I can't advocate that enough because he was so real and honest with me because I was suffering anxiety, like that was like putting me up into the stratosphere. I mean, like I was popping Xanax and drinking wine just to numb the situation, like full on self-medicating. And my thing, I would, I would go there. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to get dementia? And what's this, what's going on? And what I loved about my therapist that he like took a little, it's like he took a wand and like poked me over the head with it. <laughs> Mm. he's like you don't know if you're gonna be married to your husband a week from now like you can't and I'm like okay oh wow okay thanks <laughs> whoa <laughs> he's so nice on Instagram <laughs> but I love I know he's so lovely no but what I loved about him was he was like you can't put all of your worry eggs in one basket and yeah. sit for the remainder of your life and worry about something a you might not have control over and b you don't know. It's an uncertainty. Every, there's, every day brings more uncertainty. And that's just the reality of our situation. It, I, I can't put that worry all there. And he really helped me deal with that um, because I, I was losing. And he told me, to, I asked him, I said, I need tools. What am I supposed to do? How do I turn this off that's going in my head? How do I think happy thoughts? And he's like, Lauren, it's not about thinking happy thoughts. You need to stop your brain from thinking period. And that's right. when I got into meditation. And that's when I realized that that is actually exercise for my brain. So I've started implementing that as just my own tool, but I'm sorry, I lost track. We were talking about her care, right? Right. Care but I think that you just went on to a really excellent topic because I think anyone who's listening to this that is going through the situation that we are, we're all under a crazy amount of stress. I've benefited so much from a therapist. I think we need to do a side episode on this. If you want to come back and chat with us about that, because I think 
this is something we could really tap into like our strategies for coping. Great idea. Um, this is going to be awesome. I'm, I'm very excited to learn any tools to help us just get through the day. To get yeah. out of here. This yeah. is where just, I need to get out of right up yeah. here. Like, and just be and somewhere to goal. And that's the goal is to get out of your head and into the world, to mm-hmm. get into your life. But back to the, the, yes, to the care. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The caregivers. So the gals that we, so we went through an agency and then we went through Facebook and we did, you know, the good old fashioned hunt. Does anyone know of a caregiver? And we ended up with two amazing ones, um, Zena and Flora, and they were opposites in the way that they cared for my mom. Flora was a little bit more, she was younger and more energetic and a little bit more like, come on, June, you know, and just like would spank her and have fun with her. Zena was a little bit more um, like kind of militarist, kind of like militarist mm. to be like, you know, she was very like cut and dry, like black and white, let's get her up and down and would exercise her. She was, they both had such wonderful tools that they used to help care for June, which made a world of That's amazing. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. We, also fired, we, we, we had to fire some people because they were idiots. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was because they were bad caregivers. Mm. Zena and Flora, you give, you give them a person that cannot move a single muscle and they will take care of them like they're doing it themselves. So I feel like we were just really, I don't use the word blessed ever. I never use it, but under these circumstances, I'll throw that out. We were blessed to find them. We, we joke, but not really that they were like our earth angels. Oh, they didn't, they weren't scared of the disease. They were, they were not, they didn't fear it. They were there to help make June's quality of life optimal. And they did. That's amazing. It was I'm amazing. so, so, so glad to hear that. People are very interested in hearing symptoms. If there's anything else you could maybe touch on yeah. just to educate people on some of those signs. Absolutely. Um, some of the ones that really stick out and that I still remember was she wasn't able to get a full thought out. She was still verbal and she was able to talk, but it was very like, hi, Lauren, it's mom, come over, bye. And I, you know, they were just very short, quick sentences I'll never forget, we did, we started taking her, before we had her diagnosed uh, or received her diagnosis, we were taking her to a therapist, Michelle and I, to see, is it that she's lonely? What is going on? And I remember, this is where I have severe guilt and I've worked on it and I, it's gotten better. I think a year ago, if I were going to tell you the story, I would, I would probably break down. But I remember we were about to leave for Columbia, my husband and I, and we were going with another couple and we were flying out the next morning and we had taken my mom to to the therapist. And I don't know how she couldn't tell me she loved me. And I was like, mom, do you, do you love me? Like, you're not paying attention to me. Oh, that's another symptom. She lost all interest in anything we were doing. Didn't Mm -hmm. care about my wedding. I mean, she cared, but it wasn't like that mom daughter dream of a wedding that you hope for and dream about. Um, we're nodding really hard. Did you know, you know, we know, right? So the, the definite loss in interest, and it got me to a point where I said outside, I got so angry with her. I like slammed my hand on the car. I can almost remember burning. I hit it so hard. And I said, would you even care if my plane crashed tomorrow? And this is before her diagnosis. So I didn't know she was sick yet. I thought she was just maybe being a, like a butthole or something, you know, like maybe yeah. we she was an alcoholic. We thought maybe she was popping pills. We were hoping that that was the problem. 
and yeah. we were trying to find it because this was the worst case scenario was FTD or any form of a neurological illness. Uh, yeah. And she, I remember her after I said it, she kind of like shook and she's like, I, I, of course I do. And she still even couldn't say the words, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember leaving and having horrible, horrible anxiety yeah. So things about um, her not being responsive to big events and things like that happening was very upsetting. Another one, Maria, the overeating. Oh my God. That would, and, and as a person, you know, and this is where, and I, this can go on. I'm okay with you putting this on because I think people need to hear this and understand that it takes for a person, for me at first, when she would gobble up food, it would almost make my stomach not feel well because it was so, it was gross. And it, you know, it's like unappetizing and it's, they, and, and I had to retrain my brain as a human to have the most compassion I can ever have for a person is going to go to my mom now because she's turning into a baby and that's how babies eat. And that's how kids eat. They just, they have no, they don't, they don't know how to control. Yeah. Control. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to realize, okay, we're going backwards mm-hmm. where my mom's not going to go forward anymore. She's going to go backwards. She, she went through a moment like wanting to have a boyfriend. So they go to like being a rebellious, like kind of like a 20 year old, then that rebellious kind of like horny teenager. And then they go into like being a kid, a toddler. And by the time my mom died, she was a newborn again, you mm. know? And that's just really, it was like laboring her back to where she came from at the end. There was something they wanted to make sure that we get in here. This was something that really did it to me. My mom's friends stopped visiting her. That was when, that is what hurt me the most. And I know, and this makes me so sad. I don't know why it hurt. This makes me so sad. But, you know, you, as a friend to someone, just because they become sick doesn't mean they're not your friend anymore. And I understand you can't like go to a movie or go to lunch with them, but as a friend, as a human being, if you can muster up the strength to do so, cause I know their hearts are breaking too, cause they're losing their friend, but visit them, go right. bring them a flower, bring them some soup and care for that person. Like you would do if it wasn't dementia. And if it was cancer, I know right. dementia is so scary and it's odd and awkward, and they might not who know who the hell you are, but they're still alive. They're and still a person. Still a person. That is my biggest like takeaway. That no matter the it, it was it broke my heart to see that stop. Lee, she came religiously to my mom's house, and she had a couple other friends who would trickle in and out. And there were her friends that were like, "Oh my God, her friends, her other friends are so much." Uh, braver, they can go see her how she is. It hurts me so much to see her and I get it, but it's still, she still matters. She still is there. Mm-hmm, that right. is, that's the most important thing to me. I feel like needs to be said because they get forgotten about, like they're nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it makes I me agree. <laughs> yes. I hundred percent. I think it, that was so well said too. I think um, I have friends that it's like, it's almost like they're treating her like she's just, yeah, she's not a person anymore because she can't talk or she can't interact, but she's still in there. And it's also just like a, um, I don't know, like a tribute to her to just keep 
coming and smiling and hugging her and loving on her because you remember who she was before. Like, just try, you know? Yes. My best friend, Maggie, so I'm sure you guys, you ladies can relate. It's weird to have people see them, how it's, it's hard. It's sad. It's strange to be like, Hey, Susie Q, you've known my mom or dad forever, but this is them now. And you don't, you don't know how you're going to feel when they see them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. I was, it was Christmas time. And my best friend, Maggie, who was in town was making the rounds. And she came by my sister, Michelle's house, who was hosting Christmas. And it was the first time Maggie saw June and Maggie walks in. I was nervous. I was because Maggie's known June for 30 years. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't know how this is going to go. And Maggie walked in and she gave me a kiss. Hello. And she goes right up to June. And all she said was, I love you, June. And she gave her the biggest hug. And I was like, that's it. That's really, that's, that's it. That's it. Go, go show love. That's the, it's the, it could be hard, but it's, that's the simplest act as a human that someone can do, especially under those circumstances is to squeeze them and tell them you love them. And that's it. And I guess, that's it. and I guarantee that person who does that at the end of the day, when that person passes away, they will remember that moment. I think it would be important. And I think it was you, Maria. Yeah, it was who said, I get nervous thinking about the death. Like, what am I going to do? What is it going to look like? How am I going to feel? Lauren, do you feel comfortable talking about June's kind of final days and what it looked like? Okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So she passed away on on April 19th, 2019. So last April. And okay, so that's April, March. In about March was when a big change happened. So our care, her caregivers would take her for daily walks, many, many walks, like one in the morning, two in the afternoon, and one in early evening. And I believe my sister Nicole was driving past the house because they all live in the same neighborhood. So they a lot of drive-bys, a lot of you know, quick stops, buys, and whatnot. And I, she found my mom and Flora struggling at the end of the driveway. My mom could not walk anymore. Her legs were not I think her brain had finally gotten a message to the legs that was like, I'm done and we're not going to walk anymore. And to me right away, that was a sign that she was starting to die. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt that I, I knew it because once you can't do those regular things you do, that's it. So that was in about March. And then about a week before she died is when we really started, you know, right when, by the way, right when she couldn't walk anymore. We called hospice. We had the hospital bed put in a wheelchair, brought in all of the things that you bring in. And then she, about a week before she died, she started showing other signs. And I will share that one of the most beautiful things I I witnessed was how lucid she became at one point. She became so alert. It was like, she... Wow. I'm such a weirdo. It was like, she did a line of cocaine. She was literally like, Oh my God. I'm like, holy. And I literally was sitting with her being like, Oh, that's what it was like. She was so aware and she was making eye contact with people and looking into your eyes. She would, had not done that. And now at this point she has not spoken. I'm getting the chills. Oh, it was was absolutely beautiful. She was looking at us. She saw us and I felt, and she knew that we were there. 
And that was, I think, the third day, that was three days before she passed away. So that day she was very, very lucid. Was she speaking? Did she no. start talking again? Okay. No, she didn't okay. speak. I will tell you though, that our, her caregiver said that two times she had, she heard my mom speaking in her, in, in her sleep, which is mm-hmm. extra scary and very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, ah! <laughs> wow. But, um, so she was lucky to hear her voice. After that night, we decided to have her sleep in, it was a recliner that can literally like lay you back all the way and bring you back up. So we decided to, to have her stay in the recliner that evening because she seemed very comfortable. Well, we were wrong. She was so uncomfortable. She moaned all night long. And right away, our, our caregiver was like, we have to get back here tomorrow morning and we need to move her now. So the decision was made to bring her into her bedroom, which had moved from a regular bed to a hospital bed. And she never came back out of it. She never came out of the bedroom. That is where she spent the last 48 hours. Her last meal though was really special. A friend of ours came by, they knew what was happening and she brought over randomly. Avgo Lemono soup. Are you familiar <gasps> with that? I'm Greek. I'm Greek. I know what that is. It's one of my faves. June was Greek and what? Uh-huh. <laughs> She's my people. Your people. <laughs> you know your people. And June loved Avgo Lemono soup. So for those that are tuning in, egg lemon soup with rice. That's amazing. The best. <laughs> It's comforting. It's so comforting. And Jen, our friend Jen Dina, who brought this, had no idea that that was June's cup of tea. And I fed her her dinner that night. That was her last meal of like food, which I think is so like serendipitous because that's probably what she would have wanted anyways. So it worked out. And then we got her into her bedroom where we um, began to prepare for her death, which would be including, um, doses of morphine and something else. I can't remember what it was. I can't recall. There was something else we were giving her, but we made that decision as a family because she was in pain. She was like curled up like a ball and holding on to the railing of the bed, like white knuckling it. And it was our decision that we thought that if we gave her something that made her feel more calm, oh, I think we were giving her something for anxiety or psychosis or something. Oh, I can't remember. And of course, morphine for pain, that she would be able to lay down at least and be mm-hmm. on her back and rested, which it did get to that point. So it took a little bit though, because she was, I don't know, it was almost like she was holding on to something, maybe her life, maybe her her situation. Um, and then Michelle and I and her caregivers, and I think, I don't know if any of my other siblings stayed over. And I don't even, I think Michelle did too. We slept there. So we slept for the two days there with her. And I have to say that it was probably, it is to this day, the most beautiful um, experience of my entire life. I know that sounds really strange, but um I think being able, you know, I look at it like my mom brought me into this world and I was able to be there with her to help her out of this world. And she needed help. She was, she wanted to hang on. June wanted to probably have like one more Miller Lite, (laughs) one more cigarette. (laughs) She she loved smoking, (laughs) but she was surrounded by so many people. It was weird. We had like a living wake. People just started coming over because June 
always had people at her house. Like to know June is to know that you ate her good food and you could sleep anywhere in her home and she would basically make mistake you as one of her own children. Mm. <laughs> so all the people that she did that for came to say goodbye. And we had a bonfire going in the backyard because that's something else she liked. She liked her little bonfires. People mm-hmm. were out back drinking Miller Lights because that's what June loved. Mm-hmm. And it was very somber. It wasn't a party, but it was a bit of a celebration of the end of her life. And she passed away, um, yeah, on the 19th of last April. I, we were, I was holding her hand. We were all there and it was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really special. I didn't know what to anticipate. I was with my grandmother when she died. I was doing the same thing for her that I did for my mom, you know, wiping them down. And you just make sure that they're clean. We gave her one last like bed bath, which was wonderful. We cleaned her prior to her dying, of course, and just got her as cozy as can be. Mm. And I will, I will also share something that is so special. She would do this thing while she was dying. And again, my mom was not making movements. She was not by the time she was in her last months, she wasn't like waving at us anymore. She was doing minimal physical movement, right. except for going to the bathroom, wash, eat. And we were spoon feeding her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in her bed, you guys. And she would lay down, her eyes were closed and she would reach up. She would reach up to like wow. something. And then she would be a dramatic and then her arm, her hand would fall on <laughs> <laughs> like a Hollywood Charlotte. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, mm-hmm. oh, like they I love love that. she was surrounded by so everybody, everyone in her family. And it was magnificent. Thank you for sharing that. I, yeah, you're so be. strong and you're so well-spoken and, and, it, but I really want to thank you for doing thank it. You. I know. Thanks for letting us Thanks for letting me talk about it. It's so, I think it's very important to remember people's lives and death is a part of being alive. I mean, that is what happens to all of us. And some go earlier than others. Some smoke cigarettes and drink a bottle of vodka every day and live to their 95. I know. Yeah. (laughs) How do they do that? I don't know. But I, I just, I think that it was, it was honestly the most beautiful experience I've ever had with my mom. I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. glad. Yes. <sighs> okay. Well, let's shift to life a little yep. bit. Tell us a little about what you know of June. If you could describe her personality, what was she like? Well, as a mom and as an adult, she was very honest and open. She would tell you, she, she was a type of gal that was like, she'll tell you like it is. She was a straight shooter. Um, and she was exceptionally welcoming. She was a very kind and compassionate person. I think she also had a bit of like a, like a bite to her too, not a bad way, but she was, you know, if we, I think if you got on her bad side, you maybe remained there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we joke that June sometimes held a grudge, but you know, we all, <laughs> I um, feel like when you have five kids too, uh, you probably don't take any bull. <laughs> no, she didn't. She's like, you're an asshole. And no, yeah, not being I don't asshole. have time for this. Bye. Yeah. But she was wonderful. She spoiled us. She loved us. Um, 
she made everything so special. I, I, growing up, my birthday was, my birthday is on October 23rd. And so every birthday was like a Halloween extravaganza. She would bake my pumpkin cake for me. We all dress up in costumes. She would decorate the house. So she really knew she had a knack for making you feel special, welcomed if you weren't part of the family, but making you feel like part of the family. And she was a really good cook. And, um, she, like I said, she was, she just loved to have fun, laugh. She had a really big, loud laugh. I think mine is turning into hers a little bit where when I laugh, sometimes I'm like, Oh, Lauren, <laughs> that, like, uh, that raspy, like reaching for air. <laughs> um, but as a kid, you know, my mom was an only child. So, and I don't know, my, I, it sounded, I don't know a lot about my mom growing up it sounded like she had a little bit of a sad upbringing. Um, her parents were, her father was Greek and her mother was Russian Jewish and they were interesting people. They were, they were wonderful grandparents. Um, but when she was growing up, they had a restaurant. So she spent a lot of time being taken care of by her aunt and uncle who spoiled the hell out of her. So they loved her to pieces. They would give her like random pets. She had like a German shepherd, a rabbit um, as a little girl. And then growing up, my mom was, I, I, I feel odd saying this, but I'm going to anyways. She was stunning. My mom was absolutely beautiful. She was like a model. She looked like a young Raquel Welch. I think she was being scouted to be a model. I think she would have definitely had a career in fashion or as a model. Uh, her father thought that that was, her father was very old school. Sorry, Grandpa Manos, but that's <laughs> how we knew, you know, we knew of him like that. And he mm-hmm. thought that being a model was equivalent to probably like to being a sex worker. He didn't see mm-hmm. that there was an opportunity for a career in something bigger. He just thought it was like exploitation, which that may have been part of him trying to protect her, you know, from the, the people out there. But mm-hmm. she also probably could have had wonderful opportunities. And it sounds like she probably could have handled herself. That too. (laughs) And was this all in Chicago? She grew up in Chicago? Yep. She's from Chicago. I think um, she went to Roberto Clemente. I don't know if it still exists. It's a high school around here. She would share that she would get beat up a lot by girls. Like they didn't, I think she was kind of a little bit of a loner too, you guys. She, my mom was interesting. I don't really know that much about her as a young woman. I'm not quite sure how her and my dad met. I think maybe it was a blind date. I'm going to find out tomorrow when I see my dad. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, she just started having babies and had a lot of babies. She was, I think she wanted to be a mom so bad that once she started having one, she had four more after that. And that was her life, her family and her home was who June Massarella was. And that's the extent, that's really how I know my mom is obviously is my mother. I don't know. I wish I knew more about her, but I don't know any of her old friends from growing up and she has no family members. So Mm. her legacy for her kind of ended when she passed away, but now we have, she's got five kids, which I think part of the reason why she had so many was to build another tribe Mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's so beautiful now to learn um, more about June because it's obviously influenced your, your blog with your sister and that cozy feeling and home and being together. Do you Mm -hmm. think of that as kind of a tribute to June? Oh, a hundred percent. That's how we joke that our home 
it was a big red brick house with um, a white porch with the white pillars. It's kind of colonial. And it looked like a frat house at like a big, you know, <laughs> joke, like we needed big letters. <laughs> because anyone was welcome. She did not, she didn't turn a person away. I remember, I remember as a kid, we were driving in a car and there was an old man walking, old. I think in some bag shopping bags and she pulled over and picked him up. We had no idea who he was, asked him where he lived and drove him home. And when I got home, I remember my dad being like, you can't pick up strangers <laughs> and drive them home. And my mom's like, no, I'm going to. And she would do that. She would sometimes, there was a woman that lived in our neighborhood, Julie. And you know, when you're in your neighborhood, you have like those people that are different and people as young kids, you don't understand what makes them different. June would pick her up and help her home sometimes because Julie was a, like a loner. She was an outcast in our town and we, she was quote weird when she was probably just not all that well. Mm. And that's the kind of person June was. She would <laughs> pick up strangers and drive. Them. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Love she, that. Yeah. How do you think that June would want to be remembered? Oh man, I don't it's know. It's probably hard. I couldn't do it. Hmm. I think June would want to be remembered as doing her best. Um, this makes me sad because I know that she had, I think she had kind of a shitty childhood growing up. And I think she wanted to give her kids everything that she didn't have. And she did. She gave us, listen, I can only speak for myself. I don't know how my siblings feel about my mom. And I can only speak about how I experienced my relationship with her. And she did, she gave me a very good life. And I think she'd want to be remembered as she did the best that she could under all circumstances. And that she loved life and she loved her family and she loved her friends. And she made everyone feel welcome because just how she was. She never discriminated. She never spoke poorly about anybody, where they came from, what color their skin was, nothing. She was not like that. She was open her heart was big and that I yeah I think for sure that she just did her best did her best as a mom a wife and a human that's beautifully put from the heart sorry to make you cry don't be crying are tears of truth yes <laughs> that's right it that's is right. it is therapeutic I feel like for so long I've just tried to be so strong and this is really sad it's so sad. It, this is really, really Great sad. Mm-hmm. It is okay to cry. People don't give other people the space to do it. Like when, when I get emotional, either with my kids or whoever, both my kids look at me like, mom, what are you okay? Like as a young child, they're already conditioned like I can't, don't, I don't want to see mommy cry. Why is she crying now? Which I love, but I also don't. When I see my dad, he cries. He does. Mm -hmm. Either on the computer or when I go, I went down to visit him through the window because I can't see him um, with COVID. And he was just, he couldn't. I know, but it's also like, what? You have emotion. Yeah. I, I guess so. Was he not normal? Complete. He does not move at all. Like the same. They were like, put your hand on the glass. And he could not no. lift his arm. 
um, he cries. Like when we FaceTime and I'm like showing the kids and he is bawling. That is incredible. Mm, That is incredible. And I feel so connected to him, but I, I get the uncomfortable feeling like, don't cry, don't cry, you know? Mm. And then I'm like, no, go ahead and cry. Like this, I can only assume, and I really, really hope they're happy tears. And it's not like, oh, I'm sad. And I wish I, I hope it's like, okay, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You're happy. You're with your family for whatever reason he's holding on still, which okay. But also just let, let go of the handrail, you know, just do it. Yeah. We were in the same space with June. Um, it was to a point where I mean, there's no quality of life. She's right. zombie. Right. I hate saying it like that, but she was a zombie by the end of it. Right. And I, there is a relief after they die. There is. And there, there's a heartbreak and it is so sad. And because you're grieving again, I will say that when you, you know, when our parents were diagnosed, you're grieving the loss. Oh, yeah. I thought I was of the mind that when June would die, I was going to be like, "Whoa, that was hard. Oh my God. Okay. Well now we can move on. And I, that's not the case. You are grieving them again. So that's why dementia is a real kick in the D because it gets you twice. It doesn't, it gets you when you're like living life and everything is seemingly fine. And then there goes our parent or loved one. And then again, when they die. And so the good thing is, ladies, is that we are so resilient as humans and you guys are mothers and you can handle this. We all can. Dementia sucks, but you know, it, it's, it's horrible, but we're alive and we get to experience the beauty of our days and your children and my family and nature. And I think that that is exceptionally important to remember and call upon because it's yeah easy to go into the dark. We called it the dark place. (laughs) I think this is just going to be, if nothing else, a comfort to other people going through this. Couldn't agree more with you. It's a comfort for me to hear your experiences. Um, and I know your, I mean, you, I hope you call upon me when it comes to that point, when you're feeling like, okay, maybe it's getting closer or, or when it does happen, when your loved one, when your mom or dad passed, and you're feel you'll it's a it changes the dynamic of how you experience life. It's a very are both of your other parents here? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this will be the first, right? And then it just I don't know. Something about my mom's death changed me as a person on a cellular level. It it made me realize, it made me realize that you live one time and to do what you want to do with your life because whether you pass away from that dumb disease or something else or live to 105, get it done. Hmm. When you look at yourself, do you see June? Um, yes, I do. Uh, not all of me, but some of me. My dad once told me a story about they were in, in New Orleans during like Mardi Gras and my mom saw... Someone was there, you know, there's a lot of partying and ruckus going on and a guy was acting like a butthead and I guess the cops came in and they were like, come on, dude, whatever. And however they handled it, my mom was not happy about it. So she spoke up and she said, you know, like, hey, officers, 
you leave this drunk guy alone. He's just out here having fun. And the officers were like, little miss, you need to be quiet right now. And that was the end of it. But I see myself in, I speak up. I don't sit back. I don't, if I see something happening that needs to not happen, I will, I'll be the first to open my big mouth, which is sometimes really a good thing or it gets me into trouble. (laughs) My mom was like that. She didn't let stuff slide, whether it was with her kids or with teachers or however she felt. So I definitely see myself and her or herself and me, however we're going to put that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's definitely some resemblances there. Not all of them, though, but some. The ones that I want to hold on to. That's right. (laughs) No, like as kids, you're like, I don't want to deal with that version of her or those those traits that she had, but that goes for everybody. Yes, yes. I love I love the blog. I love now knowing the background that a lot of it really comes from June. Oh, and just that coziness and that togetherness and. I love you guys like cooking and your kitchens together. And it feels like that was just like something that she taught you guys, you know? She did. She really did. And we didn't set out to start a blog to talk about dementia either. It started as a blog to talk about our lifestyle, which was inspired by our mom. But then with her illness of FTD, it turned into, we have to be voices because she's becoming voiceless. And it's time that to speak up. And on top of that, sharing grief is such a, everybody is going to experience grief. And the more we talk about it, the more people are maybe willing themselves to talk about it or know that their grief is totally normal. Mm-hmm. We have to normalize that because we like to hide grief and grief is crying is part of who we are as humans. So yeah, we set out to do the the blog for fun and then it turned into a portion of it about awareness as well. So inspired by June and then the silver lining there is that it helped me have my voice in how I feel like delivering my experience as a person to other people. And look at us, we're having this conversation now. I get to know you both and it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Silver lining. It really is. It well, is. <laughs> It's super, super intimate, I think. I Like grief and the rawness and the vulnerability is, you don't just find that with having a friend over for dinner. Like the commonality, the bond is, you totally get it. I just, like the intimacy, I think, is so hard to find and allow because in our society, we're busy and we're doing this and we're here and we're doing that. But when you can sit down and be with your grief and with the rawness, that intimacy is unlike anything, I think, that we find. Yeah, I feel like we've become good friends over, what, Rachel? month or two yeah it's just like that instant bond of just sharing this crazy vulnerable experience i feel this is very huga or heige or (laughs) (laughs) h-y-g-g-e i literally wrote it up (laughs) i did that too (laughs) but that's what this is it's the the practice of huga or trying to dive into that lifestyle is making these human connections. Huga can be very 
individual and be very alone and me going to nature and reading in the park to me that's very huga and even though this conversation the topic of it is very heartbreaking for all of us i personally feel love and i feel support from both of you and that to me is very huga i feel and we laugh and we can cry and that's what this is all about so we would love for you to share okay. some words from June and I cannot wait to hear. So I love this idea and I, it's such a wonderful way to keep like their words alive. June did not write a lot to me or to my siblings. She was too busy. She was a florist. So she was too busy making flower arrangements for uh, weddings and whatnot, but uh, cleaning her basement years ago, I found my baby book. And it's like, there's like three pages filled out. <laughs> You're the mid sis. You're the mid sis. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But when I was little, I, I've always had horrendous dental issues. I've knocked out my teeth like three times. The first time I ever knocked out my teeth, I don't really remember it, but I have like these flashbacks that I was running around a table. I tripped. And what happened was I fell face first into a wooden table. And for years later, there were the two teeth marks, but they knocked, oh out, and knocked out my teeth. And I had been given like a retainer, like the flipper, I think you call it. And when I found this book, we were cleaning out June's house because gathering our own personal belonging because she had so much stuff that, uh, that she kept of ours. I found this, I was sitting on her basement floor and I opened it up and I read this and it's, it's just a tiny little excerpt for many people. It's not, it's nothing like, I don't know, super profound, but back in my, in my youth, I remember this moment and she wrote at three years old, you tripped and knocked out your two front teeth. A retainer is placed in and you are still beautiful. And when I read that, I, just started bawling because she never, I don't know, she was never like, oh, you're so beautiful or you're, you know, pretty young lady. That was one of the only times I really remember her like putting into words like that saying you were still beautiful. And it just goes to show that that was the mom in her. And really that's how I just remember her as being, you know, of course my mom. Special thank you to Lauren for sharing her story with us. We had an incredible time chatting with her and we can't wait to have her back. If you want to learn more about Lauren and her sister, Michelle, you can visit their blog, thesisterprojectblog.com. We'll be releasing new episodes each week on Mondays. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram, at Remember Me Podcast. We also have a Facebook group called Remember Me Podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Association for FTD, you can do so on our Classy page, give.classy.org slash Remember Me Podcast. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez. And the beautiful music you hear is by Bailey Kent. <laughs>